Hi, this is Dee Wallace, and you're listening to TV Confidential, baby. Ed Robertson, along with Greg Airbar, welcome you back to TV Confidential Radio Talk Show about television. That will play part two of a conversation that began earlier this year with film and television actor David Franken. David Franken, the voice of Sergeant Tibbs in 101 Dalmatians, and an actor known to most of you for his appearances in such classic films and classic TV series as Master of the World, Return of the Fly, King Rat, the FBI, and the original Star Trek. David Franken also provides the voice of the storyteller in the stop-motion puppet animated short film adaptation of The House of the Seven Gables that was written, produced, and directed by Ben Wicke. The House of the Seven Gables was recently released as part of a DVD compilation. We'll tell you more about it and where you can find it in just a second. We'll also tell you about David's upcoming appearance this weekend in Ticonderoga, New York, as part of the Trek Conderoka Weekend Gathering. Also with us is our friend Jonathan David Dixon, actor, artist, composer, and songwriter. As a matter of fact, among Jonathan's credits, in that capacity, Jonathan composed original music for the Ben Wiki production of House of the Seven Gables. You might recall from David's appearance earlier this year on TV Confidential, we talked about his many collaborations with Vincent Price and the lifelong friendship with Price that ensued, among other things. David talked about an important lesson that Vincent Price imparted on him, which he never forgot throughout his career. That lesson being, always be open to anything that comes along in your acting career. Never say no, always say yes. As we pick up the conversation, one of the things you said yes to is you did a number of shows for Quinn Martin, including the FBI. Yes. And you did about four or five of them, as I recall. I, some, think, I, I think I did five, yes. Some of your parts were bigger than others. That's right. But they were all good roles. In one of the shows you did, I believe all of your scenes were with Barry Morse. And oh, I forgot that. Yes, they were. Yes. In Perry Mason, we would call you the decedent because you played a very pivotal role. Unfortunately, you became pivotal because Barry Morse kills you on a ski loft. Ski loft, yes, indeed. Yeah. But when the close-up came for David to play the corpse, you were a very convincing corpse. But, yeah. but no, just do you have any memories of working with Barry? No, I don't. I only have a memory of being terribly sunburned, lying in that ski lift while the camera was fixing things down at the bottom <laughs> of the ski lift. You know, the whole left side of my face was bright red the next day, and the next day I was back on that ski lift for a commercial. And, of course, they took one look at me and said, oh, my God, you know. So they had to do tons of makeup on the left side of my face for a commercial that ran for two years. If I had been too sunburned, I would have lost out on two years' income from that one commercial. So you did shoots for two different things in the same location? In the same ski lift. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for all the years of commercials, and I did about 10 years of them, to my astonishment, they always dovetailed with the acting work. And I never, that was a close one, but I never lost an acting role because of a commercial or vice versa. My wife and I have been watching all of the FBI episodes. You get kind of hooked on them. Yes, and then after were, a while, you get to know the form. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, yes. They were very well done. They really were, and they're a lot of fun. And the episodes with you, I was like, oh, this one has David in it. This uh, one has David. And sometimes I'd even send a note to Jim Hollyfield. Oh, 
David just got killed on the ski lift. <laughs> and, and then we'd look to see like, oh, I hope he makes it through the opening credits, yeah. you know, or yeah. or he's in the opening credits and yeah. he's mentioned. But there was one where you were the evil baker. And you were in most of the show. Oh, kind of. Uh, Eric uh, Braden was the, um, uh, he was the one that Ephraim was chasing that episode. Ah, uh, yeah. But there's a, I forget the actress, I could look her up, but yes, you were the evil baker. Yes. And you were Eric Braden's contact for the other side in that episode. Oh, and, uh-huh. and there's a very climactic scene that ends up in a cabin. Although a cabin? I, yeah, oh. th- there's a cabin in the woods and there's a confrontation. I think you escaped Eric Braden, so you did not end up... You don't die. You don't die in that one. I didn't die in that episode. No, you're just put in the car at the end. You know, they put you in the car to take you away. But do you have any memories of working with Eric Braden? Yes, I do. Uh, I mean, just that I enjoyed him very much, and I did something else with Eric Braden. Uh, It might... I don't... No, I'm not... I was going to say it might have been The Young Rebels, uh, a segment of that series at Columbia... Uh, TV, but no, I I can't remember what else I did with him. I liked him very much. He was very cool and collected and focused, very much. Very much so, and a very, very, very interesting man off mic as well. I can imagine so, yeah. Very smart, super intelligent, I felt. Yeah. You know, my FBI's were sort of ups and downs with the billing. Once in a while, I'd be co-starring, and the one I remember most was one with an Academy Award winner, Paul the great Paul Lucas, mm-hmm. uh, uh, who won his Oscar for Watch on the Rhine in mm-hmm. 1944. And it was always a thrill, as it was working with Thomas Mitchell in mm-hmm. Adventure, with these Academy Award winners, you know. And I would sit and watch them at work and think, are they going back to look at the, the script? Never. Never saw Thomas Mitchell or... Uh, the, uh, the or Paul Lucas. No, the last one after Paul Lucas, the other winner. Oh, the great Santini. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. Robert Duvall. Never saw them look at a script. You know, I, I would think, well, they'd have, they must have done all their work at home, which, of course, we should all do as mm-hmm. responsible actors. Mm-hmm. And they just were spending five days on a set with never, uh, maybe at night when they're back at the motel, never on the set, just ready to walk on. And, and so with Lucas, I, I, he was such a gentle, wonderful man. I don't know if he might have said this on our first chat, Ed, but I asked him about working in Call Me Madam mm-hmm. with uh, Ethel Merman, right. And I, I said, but you sang in that, didn't you? He did have a song. He was a fine singer. And in his gen- I said, well, how was it working with her? And in his gentle way, he said, one learned very quickly to simply get out of her way. <laughs> there was such a benign elegance about Paul Lucas. I just, I loved working with him. If I remember correctly, that same show with Paul Lucas, you had a lot of scenes with Edward Mulhair. Edward Mulhair, yes, yeah. the British, yes, 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 yes. That's right. Yes, and Diana Highland. Oh, di- yes, that's right. She was the she was the lead uh, lady in that, and Edward Mulhair. Ed- Edward yes. Mulhair, yeah. yeah. Uh, you, uh, another. I mean, the great thing about the Quinn Martin shows, and this is what made Quinn such a great producer in general is that beyond the fact that he paid better than anybody else he did indeed yes he could attract an oscar winner such as paul lucas yes. he, could, he could attract well ethel merman didn't do an fbi but he got a lot of that would have been different that would be one to remember <laughs> oh, but, uh, that would have been one for the books wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, 
no, but d- he attracted a lot of Broadway stars. Oh, um, from uh, all people, Richard Kiley. Yeah. Richard oh, Kiley, yes, yes. People who didn't ordinarily do television. Ah, ah, yeah. Would do that show. Yeah, and of course he had all the way through him the great, the wonderful Ephraim Zimbalist. Mm-hmm. I can never sing enough praises of Ephraim. And with him, I went back to seventy-seven Sunset, Sunset Strip. Strip. Yes, you know, there was such a of warmth and friendliness about Ephraim, but the power was there. Twice uh, on, on different episodes of the FBI, Ephraim quietly used his power. We were on location for one shoot for an FBI at the beach, way down, and he saw a wounded seagull on the beach dragging its wing. So we're in the middle of an intense scene, on, and the, of the directors, you know, look at the watch, and Ephraim said, no, I, I have to go see this bird. And everybody say, he's going to do one. So, you know, production screeched to a halt. Ephraim went and sat by the bird. I was in the scene with him, so I went over and I sat by the bird too. And, and the director actually said, well, Ephraim, and he said, no, I'm going to wait for animal control to get here. I want to make sure this bird's okay. That was an example of his great power. And in another episode of the FBI, I don't know which one it was, it was the denouement. We're all together, the killer's about to be unmasked. And Ephraim said, no, this doesn't read right. That's not right. And he said very quietly, get the writers. Well, the writers showed up within 10 seconds, it would seem to me, you know, in a huddle with Ephraim. Everything stopped. Nobody said but. Nobody said but. And they got it resolved, and we went on with the scene finished to Ephraim's satisfaction, and that was the power of Ephraim's impetus. He did that quite often, and it wasn't necessarily... I mean, it would depend on the story, but the one example of that that pumps to my mind is there was a show he did with Penny Fuller, and uh-huh. it was one of the final scenes of that show. Uh-huh. And they're about to shoot it, and Ephraim, Ralph Sinensky was the director of that oh, show. Oh, my old friend our, Ralph our, Sinensky. Your, your old friend and our mutual friend, Ralph Sinensky. Oh, yes. And Ralph shares a wonderful story about that in which, okay, again, Ephraim didn't feel the scene was right, and he asked to make some changes. And the irony is that he was the star of the show. You would think he would take lines away from Penny Fuller and give them to himself, but he did exactly the opposite. He said, it would be more effective if I say nothing and let... Now, how many lead actors in a series would say that? <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth. Yes. <laughs> was that the scene where she was sort of unstable and he walked up behind her and she was about to go out? She was at the window? Yes. That was a powerful scene. Very much so. And it was much more powerful because he was not speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, a lot of actors would go, I'm not talking. I should be talking. I'm the star. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what made him the Rolls Royce of people. He, indeed, he was the Rolls Royce of actors. I was always say, what was it like working with Audrey Hepburn, you know, from Wait Until Dark? Or he did one with Lana Turner, and he said he loved working with her. Lana had her little uh, routine of uh, she needed a sip mm-hmm. at 4 o'clock. Just, you know, she had another two hours to go, and so she everything stopped. Well, Lana had her little sip, and on they went. So these little anecdotes came by way of Ephraim Zimbalist. David Frankham is with us in the studio. David Frankham, the voice of Sergeant Tibbs in 101 Dalmatian, and an actor all of you know from his appearances in such films and TV series as Return of the Fly, Master of the World, Tales of Terror, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Maverick, 77 Sunset Strip, the FBI, the original Star Trek, and most recently the voice of the narrator of Ben Wickey's stop-motion puppet, animation adaptation 
of the House of the Seven Gables. The House of the Seven Gables is now available on DVD through ArkhamBazaar.com as part of the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival Best of 2018 Collection. David Franken will also be appearing at the Trek Conderoga Weekend in Ticonderoga, New York on August 23rd, August 24th, and August 25th. David is also profiled in the May to August edition of Film Facts magazine. You can find Film Facts magazine wherever publications are sold. About a year ago, the South Pasadena Library did a screening of Wait Until Dark. Uh And Alan Arkin's son, Matthew, uh, appeared at the beginning of the picture. And uh, he shared a few stories behind the scenes. And two things. I had never seen Wait Until Dark in a theater before in front of a live audience. So that climactic scene where the lights go out. Yes. I jumped. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. But either before or after, Matthew took some questions from the audience. And the one takeaway that I still remember is he talked about how much his dad loved working on that. On the one hand, he loved working on that film, but he hated it because in every scene he had to be mean to Audrey Hepburn. Uh, It's like... He kept on saying, why me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it must have been hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan had dinner with Alan Arkin. Did he talk about that then, Jonathan? Uh, no, actually, he, I accidentally had dinner with Alan Arkin once, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just okay. <laughs> was with some friends, and they said, oh, we're meeting at this Italian restaurant, and joined me, and I showed up, and there was Alan Arkin sitting there. So he was very guarded, I'm, ah. you know, like you would want to be when you're really famous and recognizable. So I I approached him as a cat, sort of like you don't even make eye contact and sort of let them warm to you. And he did over time. So I I respect him a lot, and he was very nice. Later, I heard afterwards, he said to my friends, why didn't that guy talk about acting with me? (laughs) (laughs) So he appreciated it, I guess. But yeah, he he warmed up a little bit and told jokes and some stories like that. Yeah, so nice guy in my vast experience. The episode of Star Trek that you were in, you were the guy who uh, the guy who looked into the thing and went nuts. Oh, that's right. Yes, Diana Mulder. Yes. Yes. Marvelous actress. Yes. And to me as a kid, it always looked like in the 70s, Rubbermaid made these wastebaskets that you could, you know, you drop the trash into and then the little flap would go down yeah. kind of. I had one of those. Yeah. Yeah, or a, sh- a shredder. I had more than one of those. <laughs> you know, so we always say, "Oh, it's the one where they look in the Rubbermaid wastebasket and go yes. insane." Yes, but except there were little lighty things in there. Yes. Now, what was really in there? I don't know. <laughs> I, Ralph Sinensky said action, and and I just I can't. You know, you have to believe what what, what you believe in order to make your work believable. Yeah. So I don't know what I was looking at, but. I know just before I said I, I love you and I died, uh, I was just looking at bad stuff in there, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Good question, though. <laughs> I, I would imagine. I mean, that was not the first time you worked with Ralph. I, oh, I, no. I, third time. Third. I, would, I would imagine, both for an actor and as a director, um, when, when you have an opportunity to work with each other on more than one occasion, mm. I would imagine 
that is beneficial for both of you because you can focus on the work. You don't have to worry about. That's right. That's right. It's like starting a sentence and the and the director finishes it for yeah. you. Yeah. And we started here, you know, in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. I did a play at the Pasadena Playhouse, which is not too far from where we I record know, our show. And, and, and <laughs> Ralph directed it, and uh, and then I, I'm trying to think of the year. I think it was 1960 that I, I it was called the Circle, mm-hmm. and the nominal star was Estelle Winwood, mm-hmm. and so then in 1965 or so, when Ralph got a script for 12 o'clock high, he thought of me and. Uh, in that, I ran around and went nuts and bananas and screamed and hollered. So when he got to Star Trek, I think I saw the same character, more or less. He said, I want David Frankham. So that's how we came to do Star Trek together. How do you do crazy? Believably. You know, it's, it's such a... You're given time, a good director. Brian Forbes, I don't know if that name Oh, was. yes. Yeah. When I did King Rat, uh, he read me... No, he didn't read me. He He sent for me and he said now I'll offer this to you he said there's no dialogue but it's a key scene in a movie and you have to have a nervous breakdown he said I'm told by the Warner Brothers casting director that you do that quite frequently (laughs) (laughs) I had just done an episode of The Gallant Men in which I had was just sort of mute with misery from an injury you know so he said this is a key scene and he said I can't I can't read you because there's nothing for us to say but he said, taking the casting director's work, would you like to do it? So I said, yes. So uh, when that came about and the, uh, the time came, uh, uh, leading up to the fact that how do you prepare for it, Brian Forbes with John Mills standing by, George Siegel, everybody there for the key scene in which a Japanese, it's a Japanese prisoner of war film and the Japanese guy comes in and says, there's a radio in this hut. And that triggers me into a nervous breakdown. So Brian just said to me on the day, uh, and I sat at home thinking, all right, no, what will I do? I, I, won't, I won't overdo it, you know, all of that thought that went into it. Brian said, God love him, in front of everyone, take your time, David. Let me know when you're ready. And that's all the direction he gave me. So, of course, I'm sitting there thinking, the clock's ticking. I better come up with something. So I said, within a, a minute or two, I, I'm ready, Brian, thank you. He said, okay, we'll roll them. So we, we did the scene. I don't know. Really, Greg, in answer to the question, how you, you just believe that you're having a nervous breakdown. I, I never knew anyone who did, personally. And I, I suppose, you know, if someone said do it now, I would do it now. You, I don't know. You just find it within yourself to have a nervous breakdown on camera. David Frankham is with us in the studio to share a few recollections of his film and TV career. Greg Airbar and Jonathan David Dixon are with us. We hope you'll stay with us when we continue our conversation with David Frankham here on TV Confidential. Buying or selling a home can be one of the most stressful things we'll ever do in life, but it doesn't have to be. And no one knows better than our friends at Front Porch Realty Group. Their community of realtors serving the Northern Bay Area of California that cares about their clients as individuals first and foremost. Whether you're a first-time buyer or looking to lease or sell your property in the Bay Area, Front Porch Realty Group will help you through this important transition by providing you with the right information for your situation while lessening the pain. They also work with a network of realtors throughout California who provide the same high caliber of customer service. Call Front Porch Realty Group at 415 886 
7411 for a realtor referral near you. You can also visit their website, frontporchrealtygroup.com, for more information on the services they provide, including upcoming workshops and seminars. For more information, call 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com. Front Porch Realty Group. They'll find the solution that works best for you. Want a free first ride with Uber? Uber, the mobile app that connects you with a ride at the touch of a button in minutes. Enter promo code TV Confidential after you download the app to receive your first free ride up to $20. For more information, go to get.uber.com forward slash go forward slash TV Confidential. Hey there, this is Wink Martindale, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Are payday loans ruining your life? Do you want control over your money again? If you have two or more payday loan cash advances, listen closely. You may be eligible for a program payday loan companies don't want you to know about. A program that may help get aggressive in unfair payday loan companies out of your bank account and get you back on track to financial freedom. Payday loan companies may trap you into paying outrageously high interest rates, and they take way too much of your hard-earned money every week. We understand their tactics and know how to keep them off your back. We'll fight hard to help you regain control of your money. If you have two or more payday loan cash advances, call right now for a free consultation. 800-488-5880-800-488-5880. 800-488-5880. That's 800-488-5880. This portion of TV Confidential is sponsored by The Misadventures of Biffle and Schuster, the hilarious side-splitting new DVD available through Kino Lorber. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at tvconfidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.